is LBC with Eddie Mayer. Call 0345 6060 973. I'm very happy to say it's Friday, it's a quarter to five, it's LBC, it's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, I'm very glad to be back, but I have a confession to make. The longer this presidency goes on, the less sure I am that I completely understand it. I'm pleased to announce that after, after months of tough and thoughtful negotiations, I think we have an historic, I know we have a historic economic framework. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people, turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition for the 21st century against China and every other major country in the world. That was Joe Biden at the White House yesterday, engaged in a game of smoke and mirrors over his plans to overhaul America's infrastructure, combat climate change, and also pass a separate massive public spending bill. After yet another so-called make-or-break week here, he again failed to secure enough support from his fellow Democrats on Capitol Hill to get any of those measures passed. And yet he took to the East Room of the White House yesterday to declare victory. I want to thank my colleagues in the Congress for the leadership. We spent hours and hours and hours over months and months working on this. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. That's consensus. And that's what I ran on. I know it's hard. I know how deeply people feel about the things that they fight for. But this framework includes historic investments in our nation and in our people. Now, the president's language there was artful. He claimed agreement had been struck over his economic framework. But informal agreement over a framework, as he knows, is not the same as getting actual legislation passed and actually signed into law. And within moments of his address, there was fresh evidence of the continuing problems that he faces in a Congress where the Democrats enjoy only a wafer-thin majority. Right-wing members of his party had forced him to drop plans to establish 12 weeks of paid leave for new parents in America. They are not in his economic framework. He didn't even mention the idea in his speech. But that's a lightning rod for the left wing of the Democratic Party. Its members view 12 weeks of paid parental leave as the minimum a progressive America should be offering its people. There are things that aren't in there that people... people you know, their hearts are breaking. A bereft Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, left-wing Democrat from Washington State. Our hearts are breaking. All the women here, all the families, paid leave is not, is not in the framework that the president laid out. It's breaking our hearts, and we hope maybe something changes. Hearing that message last night, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, went into full school headmistress mode. It falls to her to try and keep Democrats in Congress in line. Professor McGonagall had more luck at Hogwarts. We're on a path to get this done, but for those who said, I want to see text, the text is there. For you to review, for you to complain about for you to add to for subtract from whatever it is and we'll see what consensus uh, emerges from that a concession there that in fact consensus at that point had not yet emerged despite the president's insistence that he'd forged the deal so what exactly was going on why would a president who prematurely declared victory over covid19 on july the 4th america's independence day then promised americans they would all soon be getting a booster shot only to discover that 
that in fact they wouldn't, then predicted that events in Afghanistan wouldn't mirror Vietnam, only to discover that in fact they would, why would he again claim premature victory before he'd actually secured it? Well, the answer to that lies in Joe Biden's travel plans. Uh, As you all know, the president is leaving for Europe on Thursday. Uh, He'll first head to Rome for the G20 and then to Glasgow for COP26, the International Climate Conference. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, one of the architects of the botched Afghan withdrawal, indicating, like other White House officials, that Joe Biden really did not want to begin a big week in Europe without a huge legislative win in his back pocket. But as the week dragged on, it became apparent that was the only option. They haven't even voted on the climate change provisions that the president hoped to trumpet in Glasgow. Do not see this as his credibility weakened if he shows up there without a deal reached. I think you've got a sophisticated set of world leaders who understand politics in their own country and understand American democracy and recognize that working through a complex, far-reaching negotiation on some of the largest investments in modern memory in the United States, that that takes time. In the immortal words of Harry Enfield's Yorkshireman, don't talk to me about sophistication, I've been to Leeds. Joe Biden's day today began with a 90-minute meeting at the Vatican with the Pope, only underscoring that his visit to Europe now rests largely on a wing and a prayer. An 85-car motorcade conveyed him to St. Peter's for a conversation that we are told focused largely on climate change. The Pope, by contrast, was travelling in the back of a single fiat. On substance, the president has got essentially nothing to point to in Europe this week beyond the vague possibility that over the next few days there might be further movement. Who knows? Perhaps even votes on Capitol Hill. But definitely not today. Congress is taking the day off. After all, they must be exhausted. I I, I know why sometimes folks just get tired. But here's the thing, we can't afford to be tired. Former President Barack Obama with a message not for members of Congress, but for voters. This coming Tuesday, there are some crucial off-year elections that could create even more embarrassment for the president while he's on the road in Europe. In Virginia, a Trump-backed Republican is now in one poll eight points ahead of the Democrats' candidate in the race to become the state's governor. In the battleground state of New Hampshire, 62% of voters told pollsters this week they believe the country under Joe Biden is on the wrong track. Barack Obama's message to worried Democrats, curb your expectations and get out and vote. I remember in 2016 folks said, oh, you know, I'm not inspired. You know, I, I, Obama was okay, but we didn't get everything I wanted. So I'm just going to sit in next time. And, you know, y- y- y'all know how that turned out. That's what happens when you're not paying attention. In fact, what the former president was saying there was, even if you are paying attention, don't worry about the fact that Joe Biden isn't getting very much done or delivering on your priorities. Keep voting Democrat because, well, we're just better than the other guys. And on that, he might have a point, given what we witnessed this week in Idaho. I know that people get fired up. 
We are living under fascism. We are living under this tyranny. What I'm saying is that we have a very fragile balance right now at our current time where we must exhaust every single peaceful mean possible. Charlie Kirk, one of Donald Trump's favorite radio talk show hosts and right-wing political hellraisers. At a convention of conspiracy theorists at Boise State University, his message of peaceful protest wasn't going far enough for one of his supporters in the audience. At this point, we're living under a corporate and medical fascism. This is tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? So, no, I, 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 no, hold on. I, I'm, no, stop. Hold on. And that, now I'm going to denounce that and tell you why. Because you're playing into all their plans and they're trying to make you do this. That's okay. Just hear me out. They are trying to provoke you and everyone here. They are trying to make you do something that will be violent, that will justify a takeover of your freedoms and liberties, the likes of which we have never seen. Now, he did not, of course, denounce the killing of political opponents on the basis that it's stone-cold murder, simply because he argues the Democrats are actually eager to be killed. It's insanity, and it's dangerous in a country where talk of secession is on the rise, and people on both sides of the country's polarised divide continue to wonder how they can coexist with their opponents. As that man in Idaho indicated there, what's the point in having all of those guns at home if you're never going to use them? Anger is increasingly evident when Joe Biden visited California a few weeks ago to campaign for Democrats there. Trump supporters lined the route taken by his motorcade, accusing him of stealing the election and being illegitimate in office. The president faced hecklers this week in Virginia, and Republican candidates are now openly siding with the former president's entirely false claim that election 2020 was rigged. The establishment, and I'm talking Democrats, and some Republicans, they were behind allowing an election to be stolen. That is Carrie Lake. She's hoping to become the Republican governor of Arizona in next November's midterm elections. And then they certified a stolen election. And we can't have that. And I think that's one of the reasons President Trump endorsed me, because he knows I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Somebody's got to go behind bars for what happened to our election. Lock them up. You'll be hearing that again on the campaign trail as America's political calendar advances. Unless, of course, you take advantage of Mark Zuckerberg's new big idea. Imagine you put on your glasses or headset and you're instantly in your home space. It has parts of your physical home recreated virtually. It has things that are only possible virtually. And it has an incredibly inspiring view of whatever you find most beautiful. Hey, are you coming? Yeah, just got to find something to wear. This is apparently the future, the metaverse, one of many reasons why Mr. Zuckerberg yesterday abandoned the Facebook name and now wants us all to call his company Meta. Having screwed up real life, he's proposing to develop his own vision of an immersive reality in which, and I am not making this up, we will exist as holograms able to teleport ourselves anywhere in the world and meet the holograms of other people with whom we would like to spend time. If it sounds like Dante's Inferno, you should see the promotional video. Come for the horror of Mark Zuckerberg deciding what his hologram should wear. Stay for the horrifically stilted conversation with 
Facebook's Vice President for Global Affairs. Yes, they found him, Nick Clegg. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mark. Look, I, I just love the presentation so far. It's, it's such visionary stuff. But as you mentioned early on, with all big technological advances, there are inevitably going to be in all sorts of challenges and uncertainties. And I know you've talked about this a bit already, but people want to know how we're going to do all this in a responsible way. Yeah, that's right. This is incredibly important. Interoperability, open standards, privacy and safety need to be built into the metaverse from day one. What can possibly go wrong? Barring congressional regulation, we'll all find out pretty soon. America lost this week one observer who had been attempting to make sense of this country for most of his 94 years. Mort Saul was born in Canada, but he moved to the US and became this country's pioneer of political stand-up comedy. I'm going to work, and there's a guy standing out there selling papers, and he says, read all about it, Richard Nixon is going to Russia. Now, that's the first thaw in the Cold War. And it came right out of left field, boy, really wild. And people, you know, were running up and buying these newspapers like crazy. And people were saying, he isn't, good Lord, this is incredible, you know, and all that. A couple of people came up and said, to stay? So, no. From the 1950s onwards, his routines inspired generations of comics to come. Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Harry Shearer, they all owed their acts to the controversial path Mort Saul was brave enough to tread on the circuit in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I was struck this week by an interview that he gave to the Voice of America in the 1960s. Barack Obama would probably disagree with his outlook, but his words then utterly relevant today. Yeah, well, this society shows no signs of a utopia. There are a great many things that uh, bear attacking. I think that the best thing anybody can do for this country is, and this country really needs a critic. I was once talking to a girl who belonged to the Democratic Party in Massachusetts, and she was critical of one of the candidates, and she said to me, he really isn't fit, in my view. I said, what are you going to do when you're called upon to vote? She said, well, I'm a good party girl. I'm going to vote for him. And uh, it occurred to me that maybe the best thing she could do for her party was not to vote for him. Maybe the best thing you can do for your party is to criticize. You know, the old term, His Majesty's loyal opposition. I think uh, this country needs a critic in order to survive, as a matter of fact. It needs more than one, but so far it has one. We need, you need somebody on the attack who audits what we do. Mort Saul. He goes on in that interview to say that with America so obviously on the wrong track, he didn't foresee any shortage of things to discuss in the years ahead. Amen to that, Eddie, but the country sure could have used him for a little bit longer. Simon Marks's American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five. This is LBC, I'm Eddie Mayer.